Bibles, if you would. 1 John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 will be our text this morning. If you need a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. One of our ushers will bring you a copy. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. When you're there, say, I got it. Say, not yet. All right, take your time. While uh, you're turning there, just a reminder that we have a conference coming up in about two weeks, a little less than two weeks now. It's called Sola Scriptura, um, and uh, it's the first conference we've hosted. It won't be here. It'll be at the Booker T. Middle School right down the street from here, and uh, um, registrations are filling up. And we're capping it. So if you have yet to register and you plan to come, uh, make sure you do so. You can also register simply through signing up on the info table. Uh, uh, and, um, or you can do it online. Uh, we also uh, will need some volunteers for the conference, so make note of that as you register. At the conference, the, the focus is the scriptures. Sola Scriptura is a Latin word, which means Latin phrase, which means uh, scripture alone. And uh, what we're saying is, is that Scripture is our final authority for faith and life. And uh, I don't know if you've um, noticed, uh, if you uh, have sort of been alive for the last couple of years, but the Scriptures, the scriptures are uh, constantly um, questioned, and the authority of the Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture... The necessity of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture is, always, is, is often attacked. And so what we're doing is we're, we're coming together. Uh, we've got Thabiti Anyabwile from D.C., Shai Lin from Philadelphia, uh, Dr. Kevin Smith from Louisville, who's now in Maryland, uh, myself in Montreal. We're going to just basically address some core issues as it pertains to the Scriptures so that we might be encouraged in our, uh, in our Scripture reading and in our trust of God's Word. Uh, so I do hope that you can be there for, for that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Follow along as I read. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to pray and ask God that He would help us this morning as we get into this Word. 
In addition, I want to pray for uh, Elder Montrell Haygood as he's preaching this morning at a, uh, a church about an hour south of here. Uh, we'll lift him up as he's probably getting into the podium there right about now. And also, uh, Stephanie is over on the eastern shore in Dover, Delaware, which is technically not the eastern shore, but we'll call it the eastern shore. Dover, Delaware, and she is uh, sharing this morning uh, about our One Hope ministry. So let's pray for each of them as we begin. Father, we do ask for grace for, uh, El, uh, for uh, Montrell and uh, for Stephanie as they each share in two different churches. I pray for Stephanie as she shares stories and testimonies of uh, the One Hope ministry and uh, various work development uh, that she's been doing. We ask that you would give her strength and and, uh, and grace. I pray that Montrell would have power in his preaching this morning as he opens up your word and, uh, and preaches Christ. We got, God, we ask that you would help us today as we study this text, that you would expose in us uh, our fears, that you would expose in us our lack of trust in you, and that you would give us wave upon wave of, of grace this morning as we, uh, as we hear your word and as we experience Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to begin with an analogy and a story from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. In that passage, there are two roads, there are two houses, and there are two ladies. One is known as Lady Wisdom. The other one is known as Lady Folly. Now, Lady Wisdom has a house, and Lady Folly has a house, and there's a road that leads to Lady Wisdom's house, and there's a road that leads to Lady Folly's house. Lady Wisdom is strong, confident. I don't need to tell you that she's wise. <laughs> Lady, what, what, what Lady Wisdom offers is something that's solid, something that's healthy, something that's going to give you strength for tomorrow. But Lady Folly, she's excited. She's out on the corner, and she's calling your name. As you're starting to walk toward Lady Wisdom's house, you hear Lady Folly, and she says, hey, 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 come over here. And she's beckoning you and luring you to come in to her house because it's fun in her house. She says, look, in my house, we've got food that is stolen. And I don't know if you've ever eaten stolen food, but it's better than food that you've purchased. And when we eat, we eat in, 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 in secrecy. I mean, we close the windows and we close the doors and nobody's peeking in and what happens in this house stays in this house. And you see all these people going down to Lady Folly's house. And you, you, you've gone inside and you sat down and you, you, you're eating the spread that she gives you, but the Scriptures go on to say, little do you know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Family, do you realize that we are in a war between these two choices? The road of wisdom, which leads to the house of wisdom, or the road of folly, which leads to the house of foolishness. This is not a joke. 
There is a real war that you are in the middle of, and it is a war for your soul. And one of the things that bothers me most as a pastor is when I don't see people realizing this and they're drifting off into the house of Lady Folly and they don't know that the dead are there. I wonder if you feel like you are winning the spiritual battle. Or I wonder if you feel like you're losing, giving in. Finding yourself in the house of Lady Folly far too often? Or are you a conqueror? Look at, look at verse 4 and 5 in our text this morning. John writing to the church, he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That word overcome is where we get the word Nike. Talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's the word for victory. These are overcomers. These are victors. And he says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one, meaning of course it's the one, none other but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to talk to you this morning on this topic, the conquerors, the conquerors. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are in Christ, you are a conqueror whether you feel like it or not. Somebody needs to say amen to that. You are a victor, not because of how great you have loved other people, You're not a victor because you've done so many great deeds for the community. That's not why you're a victor. You're a victor not because you've done so many deeds of holiness and achieved a position of justification before God. That's not why you're a conqueror. You are an overcomer because of your faith in Jesus Christ, and you only have that faith because you have been reborn. Now, let me ask you this question. What did you do to contribute to your birth? Answer. Come on, somebody. What did you do to contribute to your rebirth? Nothing. Meaning, God has done all of this for you. Meaning, you are a victor because of something that God has done for you. Are you tracking with me? Are you? Come on. All right. We've got to wake up a little bit here. I know it's quiet. I know Montreal wasn't on the base waking you up this morning. Get over it. We're in the Word now. There are, there are three themes here that I want to sh- point out. Uh, these are actually three themes throughout the entire book of 1 John. And they are this. Faith, or belief, or trust, interchangeable. Faith, love, and obedience. I don't know if you've noticed those three themes throughout John. They're all throughout the book. Now what John does for you this morning, I like it, in these five verses, he takes these three chords, faith, love, and obedience, and he like braids it together into a rope. And he's not going to whip you with this rope. He's going to tie this rope around your waist as evidence that you are a conqueror. 
Meaning, this rope doesn't make you a conqueror. It's not your faith that makes you a conqueror. It's not your love that makes you a conqueror. It's not your obedience that makes you a conqueror. But these three cords woven together become evidence of who the conqueror is. Are you tracking? Are you with me? And so what we're going to do today is pretty simple. I, I want to I look at this question of who conquerors are. I want to recognize the fact that we are conquerors because of our rebirth. We are overcomers. And so then I want to ask this question, what then does an overcomer look like? What does a victor look like? What does it look like to be a true conqueror in the spiritual realm? Well, the way we're going to do that is we're going to take this belt and we're going to examine each one of these three cords that are braided together. All right? So the first chord is this. Number one. We got an attack going on? What's going on here? Amber alert? All right. Let's let's actually pray. Let's pray. Does Does it give us a name? What's that? Can't hear you. Woodbury, Virginia. Woodbridge. Sanahi Cruz. Let's pray for her. Father, we lift up uh, this young girl, Sanahi Cruz, as, uh, as she is missing, um, as she is uh, uh, possibly traveling in this civic with a 21-year-old male. God, we pray that, uh, that you will bring uh, justice and, and, and uh, make, make this situation right. God, uh, I pray that you might do so through repentance of her uh, kidnapper, um, and if not repentance, through his judgment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, sir. All right, number one, the first chord here, number one, the conqueror is one who believes. All right, we're looking at these three chords, belief, love, Belief, love, and what's the last one? Obedience. If you don't memorize those, my three points by the end of this sermon, then I will not give you a lollipop. <laughs> Belief, love, and obedience. Number one, the conqueror is one who believes. When I was in college, I built houses for a living, and when we would show up at the new work site uh, to start building a house, I remember we would get out of the van and unload our tools, and we would look at uh, what we're working with, and what we were always working with was a foundation. It would be a foundation that was already laid there by somebody much more skilled than I, and the first thing we would do is lay two by tens on top of the foundation and begin to build, and we would trust that this foundation is strong, solid, and level, because everything that we build on this foundation <laughs> is going to be based on how strong this foundation is. And I don't think when I was 20 years old, I realized how important that actually was. Until I start looking at houses some years later and look at foundations. You know, the foundation is vastly important, isn't it? And our, our belief, our faith, what we believe is foundational to everything else that we build meaning the way that you love other people, the way that you honor God, 
the way that you do good, is all built on this foundation of what you believe. And this is why I believe that John starts with belief, with trust, with faith. It's absolutely foundational. So let's look at this. What is it that conquerors believe? Well, in verse 1, he tells us. He says, they believe, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Everybody say Christ. That is one who has been born of God. And then look at verse 6. He says, it's cyclical. He kind of loops back around. And he says in verse 6, or verse 5 rather, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Everybody say, Son of God. So on one hand, we have Jesus is the Christ. We're to believe that. On the other hand, Jesus is the Son of God. We're to believe that. What does that mean? Well, Christ is a reference to His Messiahship. He is the long-awaited King of the Jews. He is the one who Isaiah was really prophesying about. He is the stump that grew out of, or the, the, the shoot, rather, that grew out of the stump, out of the root of Jesse. He is the Messiah. The one who has come to deliver His people and to make things right. And He is the Son of God. Now, Son of God is actually a reference to His divinity. He's the Son of God. He's one with the Father. He shares all of the attributes of the Father, which means if He shares all of the attributes of the Father and the Father's attributes is holiness and, 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 and uh, omniscience and omnipotence and eternality, it means that Jesus shares in all of that, which means that Jesus is fully God. Whoever believes these things, He says, that's evidence that you are born of God, that you have been reborn. Now, genuine faith, therefore, requires rebirth. You don't believe this stuff, not really, unless you have been reborn. Let me remind you of what the Scripture says. In Romans 1, it says that that everybody knows that there's a God, but we hate Him. We've turned against Him. We've made gods made in our own image and we worship them. Meaning we blind ourselves to the truth of who God is. According to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says that Satan has also come along and he has blinded the lost. According to John chapter 12, verse 40, it says that God has blinded the eyes of them. This is like a triple blindness. This is like a blind man wearing a blindfold with dark sunglasses. Meaning you can't see, you can't see, you can't see. God, yourself, and the devil work together in blinding your eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. Not only are you blind, but you're not even free to believe. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, it shows us that we are born captives of the devil. People say, well, I believe in free will. I do too. You freely will to sin every day as a captive of the devil. Your will, friends, needs to be freed. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says that we are spiritually dead. 
How can a dead man believe in Jesus Christ? Don't you see that rebirth is required for belief? That's why he says, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, and if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then it must mean that you've been reborn. Do you believe? Do you believe? This isn't um, what must I do in order to achieve salvation. This isn't um, am I worthy of being saved. The question is, do you believe? You know, back in the old days when there would be true revivals, which we prayed for this morning, true revivals, not a tent, not five days, I'm talking about real revival that just sweeps through a community. When there would be true revivals, what would often be heard in churches were this question, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was always the same. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe. Do you believe? If you're not a Christian here, I'm calling you to believe right now. I'm not calling you to study your Bible as as your uh, movement toward becoming a Christian. I'm not talking about just keep coming to church and, and that will help you get saved. No, I'm talking about belief. Like right now, ask yourself this question. What do I believe about Jesus Christ? Believe in Him. Believe in Him. Kids in the room. Don't don't wait until you're older to figure out what you believe. How many of you wish that you would have not waited until you were older to get Christ right? Like, kids in the room. When when I'm preaching, you, you should be trying to listen. Because this is truth. And if you can get this now... It's going to frame the, your, your entire life. Yeah, you guys should listen too. You have trouble staying awake when you sleep? Get up. Get some water. That's why we have coffee in the back. It's because this stuff is important. <laughs> what do you believe? You're struggling with, with doubt. You're, you're a skeptic. Maybe you pray pray the prayer that that father prayed in the Gospels. He said, God, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that prayer. Like, I wouldn't be concerned about my doubts if I didn't believe. So let's take heart that you're concerned about your skepticism. And pray that prayer with that father. I believe. Oh, God, help my unbelief. Now, check this out. Belief leads to love. Which takes us to this next chord that we're weaving together here. What you believe about Christ determines how you will uh, respond to those in your workplace. What you believe about Christ determines your social action in the world. What you believe about Christ determines what you think and what you do and how you respond toward people who are oppressed or as an oppressed people group. Loving one another. Caring for each other. Your belief leads to love. So the second chord here is the conqueror is one who loves. What was the first chord? 
Belief. Man, you better not forget that one yet. We just talked about it. The second chord is love. Let me give you John's logic. The only reason you believe is because you're reborn. And since you're reborn, you naturally now love the Father. Let me explain how that works. Children naturally love their parents. Children naturally love their parents. Can I pick on somebody? Ashton, can I pick on you a little bit, buddy? Do you love, do you love your dad? Do you? Why? <laughs> Come on, talk to me, buddy. Why do you love your dad? He gave birth to you? I never knew that. <laughs> it's hard, you know, it's hard to explain why we love our parents. Ashley, if you were to ask me, Joel, do you love your dad? And I say, yeah, of course I love my dad. And you ask me why, I'd be like, dumb question. He's my dad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, of course I love my father. And we, and we could talk about, I could say, well, my dad's a really great guy, and he's done all this stuff for me over the years, and he helped me get through these situations. Um, but at the end of the day, my answer is I just love him because he's my father. I can't really explain to you why. You see what I'm saying? Like, children naturally love their parents. This is why um, you, you have some parents, some fathers and mothers, who really should have never been a father and mother in the first place, but yet they still have kids who love them. This is why, like, you, you remember back when you were young and somebody had a mom who was struggling, maybe she was in addiction, and somebody would make fun of that child or make fun of that mother to that child? You remember what would happen? You don't talk about my mama. She's my mama. She might be a fool. Well, she's my mother. And so if we then, listen, this is John's logic, I believe. If we are reborn, what that means is that we love God. Why do you love God? Well, it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> like, I could give you a lot of reasons as to why I love God. I could talk, I mean, that's a lot of the Psalms is just praising God for who he is, and I could do that for a long time, but at the end of the day, it's, it's like beyond that, because it's like, I don't just love God because he did something for me, I love him because, because he's my father. You see what I'm saying? So if you are reborn, you therefore love God. Now we can talk about ways to express that love, and what that looks like. We can grow in our, uh, our, our, our um, a commitment to actions of love, but at the end of the day, if you are reborn, you love God. No doubt about it. Amen? And so this is what John says in the end of verse 1. He says, everybody who loves God loves whoever has been born of Him. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. John just writes in circles. He's like, you know, you're, you're reborn, so therefore you love God, and we can't just stop with loving God. If you love God, that means you love who? Look around. Each other, right? 
as well as the way the Good Samaritan loves, that would be also the broken, those outside of us as well. We love other people. And then he goes right back and he says, and this is how you know if you love each other, and that's whether or not you love God. (laughs) But then he adds something else that I think is quite interesting. He says, and obey his commandments. So how then do you love God? Somebody answer that question for me. Obedience. Boom. We're, we're weaving these cords together. We go from belief to love, now to obedience. The way that you love God is through obeying God. That's what he says here. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments, which means you cannot separate your love for God from your love I'm sorry, you can't separate your love for each other from your obedience to God. Which means you can't have your own little pet sin that you go to and believe that it doesn't affect the way that you love other people. You confront somebody on their sin. Oh man, that's, that's just me. That's my problem. That's my struggle. That doesn't affect you. Yes, it does. And my sin affects you. We are holistic beings. We don't just have our private little sin life in this closet over here and then come over here and love everybody perfectly. We don't do that. The way that you know if you're loving people here is if you're obeying God here. I'll use my wife as an example. I know my wife loves me when she's obeying Christ. I know she loves me most when she's obeying Christ most. We can see it in other people, can't we? We know that when someone else is living in submission to Jesus Christ, that that means that they can now fully love you. But so often we forget ourselves. And we begin to lie to ourselves and separate these things. Listen, we've got to get into obedience here. This leads us right into the third chord, and that is this. The conqueror is one who obeys. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. We keep His commandments. Follow His logic. We have belief, which leads to our love. And our love now is defined by our obedience to God. General Duke, Charles Duke, was on the Apollo 16 mission. He was one of the guys who walked on the moon. Some years later, he was asked by a reporter. He said, he said do, you, do you wish that you could have stayed on the moon longer? Do you wish that you could have maybe ventured out a little bit further into the moon and, and explored a little bit? And Charles Duke's response was this. He said, everything about being on the moon and getting back safely to earth depended on implicit and complete obedience to NASA. Meaning, I wouldn't have walked one step further on the moon than they were telling me to walk because I wanted to get back to earth. (laughs) He said, there were 60 seconds left of to get off the moon. We're not playing games up there. We're not doing our own thing. 
we're obeying the word that we receive. Now imagine if you were to go to this guy and be like, man, NASA sucks. So burdensome. They tell you what to do when you're up on the moon. You know, they say that you can go this many steps, but you can't go any further. He would say, it's not burdensome. It's life. Do you have that kind of response toward Jesus Christ? Do you have that kind of uh, trust and obedience in God? Do you see God as the life giver? Or do you see Him as a life taker? Are His commandments good? Or are they burdensome to you? Look, look at the text. Right here in verse 3, he, he, as soon as he says we keep God's commandments, he reminds us, he says, His commandments are not burdensome. Like his commandments are not burdensome. They are life. Everything about living this life has to do with implicit and immediate obedience to every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And if you think that God's commandments are burdensome, then you're sleeping. You're not, you're not awake to the truth of life. Did God or did He not did, uh, create you? I mean, is God the creator? Like, if, if God didn't create you, and you're just like a random bag of chemicals, well, then what does He know about humans? What does He know about the way that you function? What's best for you? And see, a lot of times we approach our Christian or our, our life as practical atheists. As if God doesn't really know anything about my life and about the way that I'm wired. And, it, and I think obedience to Him would actually, that sounds kind of bad. That sounds burdened. I don't like that. It sounds cold. That sounds lonely. Well, I, don't, I want this. But if God is Creator, if God created Adam out of the dust of the ground and Eve out of the side of Adam and breathed life into them, does God know a thing or two about humans? He knows how we're wired. He knows the way in which we are to live our lives. And so when we live following the, the commands of God in Christ, what we find is life, not death. What we find is that this is true and that His commandments are not burdensome. Meaning, it is freeing to be honest and tell the truth. It is burdensome to tell a lie and to try to keep telling that lie. Amen? It is freeing to confess your sins. To put, sitting in a community group, sitting around with, some of the women maybe, and you confess a sin that you've been struggling. That is freeing. It is burdensome to hide your sin and to keep that on the inside. It is freeing to go to bed at night after maybe reading a little bit of a book, getting to bed early enough to wake up in the morning when I need to, with a clean conscience. That's freeing, isn't it? It is burdensome to go to bed 
after you've been doing things that you're going to regret, drunk out of your mind, you get a terrible night's sleep, and you wake up with a hangover. That's burdensome. It is freeing to have sex with one person for your life. To get into that relationship with a spouse and to enjoy that person for the rest of your life. That's freeing. Single saints, it is freeing to be celibate and single. It is burdensome to deal with multiple sex partners, multiple lovers, to play house over and over and over again with different people. That's burdensome, isn't it? It is burdensome to have sex without any kind of lifelong commitment. That's burdensome. God's not requiring anything of you that's burdensome. He's freeing. It, 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 is, it, is, it is freeing to be humbled. It is burdensome to try to keep up your pride and to, and to idolize your image and what people think of you. It is freeing to be content with the life that God has given you. And it is burdensome to always believe that he made a wrong decision. And that what you want is better and greater than what he wants. And that the life that you can imagine for yourself now is better than the life that he's given you right now. That's burdensome. It's freeing to treat all people with dignity and with respect. It is burdensome to try to keep up your racism, to try to keep your prejudices protected. Don't you see that God doesn't require anything of us that is burdensome? His commandments are light. What he requires of us is the way that we are wired to live. And there we find life. But then you ask the question, you say, if they're easy, if his commandments are easy, then why does it feel so hard? Well, family, I never said that they're easy. I didn't say they were easy. Hold up a second. They're not easy. But they're light. You see, we are in a war. In verse 4 and verse 5, we see the war painted for us. And we see this word world. World there is not just simply a, a, a reference to the physical earth, but it's a, uh, it, it's a metaphor for the entire uh, realm of Satan, for the brokenness of humanity. The world, that would be the house of folly. That would be Lady Folly who's trying to draw you in. We are in an age-old war. And the reason a lot of young Christians fall away is because they never knew that. They thought they're going to make this profession of faith, they're going to get saved, they're going to start going to church, and that everything is going to be peachy. And then they discover that it's hard. It's not easy, it's hard. It's because we are in the middle of an age-old war. A war in which Satan has blinded the eyes of 
humans. A war in which Satan has deceived so many people into the house of foolishness. A war in which Satan has driven us into our flesh and into uh, just simply gratifying our desires. Obedience then will always be hard at some level. Obedience then will always come with conflict at some level this side of eternity because you are in the world and because we are in a war. But friends, don't let the conflict discourage you. Don't let the house of folly get you down. Don't let the war get you down. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. We'll close with these two verses. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes, victor, conquers, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You're in Lady Folly's house. She lured you in. Sitting at the table, you're eating the feast of stolen water and it's sweeter and it tastes better than water that you've purchased. And and eating your, your bread in secrecy. What stays in here, what happens in here, stays in here. You're eating the feasts of addiction. You're eating the feasts of immorality. You're eating the feasts of gluttonous. You're eating the feast of drunkenness. You're eating the feasts of prejudice. You're eating the feast of racism. You're eating all of the feasts of of desire and the flesh, whatever you want, it's there on the table and you're delighting in it, you're eating it, but you don't know that the dead are underneath the floorboards. You don't know that there are bones in this house and you don't know that every single one of her guests who eats her dinner dies and doesn't get out. You're eating her poison and your soul is beginning to rot and you don't even know. That's the battle that we are in, but I am saying to you good news. You have already overcome because wisdom has come out of her house and come to us who are broken, in despair, souls rotten, dead on the ground, and wisdom has picked us up and has breathed new life into us. Christ has taken all of our brokenness on Himself on the cross. He died in our place. He went into the floorboards. And three days later, He came out. And He says to all of us who are dead, come to Me, and I will give you life. He has taken us and bandaged us up and rebuilt us in His own house. We are conquerors. We are already victors because of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you there's a war. 
but I'm telling you something even more than that, that you have already defeated that war. You're reborn. Because of that, you believe in who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. Because of your belief in Christ, now uh, uh, you, you love God. And you love other people, naturally. It's what we do. And we obey Him. Look at verse 4. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Not faith in yourself. Not faith in what you do. Not faith in how great you can love other people. Not faith in all the cool things we can do in the community, though we will do cool things in the community. Not faith in politics. Not faith in, in your parents. Not faith in your pastors. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the victory. You know you're an overcomer because you have faith. So friends, increase your faith. Do everything you can possibly do to go deeper into your faith. You're struggling with a sin issue. Conquer that through growing in faith. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, religious people say, my power is in my love for other people. My power is in all of my accomplishments that I have been able to achieve. My power is in the holiness that I've built for myself through my good deeds. And you know, irreligious people say the same thing. They just don't use faith as a motivator. But people of the kingdom, people of Jesus Christ say, our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our power is in Jesus Christ. Our victory is in Jesus Christ. And though we don't feel it yet, we know that it's there, and one day we will see that victory with our own eyes as Jesus returns, and we rule and reign with Him for all of eternity. Somebody's got to shout hallelujah at that truth. So who are the victors? Those who have faith in Christ, run to Him. Cling to Him. Grow in Him. What a victory we have in Christ. What a victory we have in Christ. And our faith is the victory. And as the old hymn says, oh, what a glorious victory that has overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time that we can share in your word. I pray that you will increase our faith, God. Grow us. God, for those who are hurting this morning, bandage them up. May they know that they in Christ have the victory. May we not fight for victory, but may we fight from a place of victory. And may we see Christ. May we cling to Christ. Do a work in this church, God. Draw us closer into love with You. Draw us closer into love for one another. May we not stumble. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.